If you had the opportunity in 2021 to chat with whomever we elect as president, what would you say? Would you talk about financial issues, the economy and healthcare? Would you talk about racial issues like immigration, racial justice, or law enforcement reform? Would you talk about investing in the future, whether that's climate change or infrastructure, or maybe dealing with student loan debt? We're starting the series today called Chats with the President in 2021, because most of us won't have that opportunity. However, there are quite a few instances in the scriptures of advisors going to political leaders, whether they were governors or pharaohs or emperors or kings, to give them advice or to chat with them. So part of the reason for this series is that we're going to take some of the principles from some of those stories and apply them to our lives and apply them to this election that's coming up because these principles are important to consider as we vote. So that's reason number one, that basically since voting is going to be much earlier than November for most of us, we want to talk about this series right now. And we're going to pull some of the principles from some of these stories and some of the advice given in these stories and see that it's applicable to everyone, including the next president or the president that we elect for 2021. You may have heard similar titles like um, the letters to the next president or things like that. And basically, I want to take that idea and sort of modernize it a little bit. But I also want to give credit to North Point Community Church for much of the content in this series. And I also need to give a disclaimer. Through this series, you're not going to be told directly how to vote. And I may say directly because I'm not going to say vote for X. But through this series, some of the content of the series might become a filter through which you see this election. So reason number two, these principles apply to anyone with any influence. In light of what has happened these past few months, we are all picking up the pieces of our lives and trying to move forward the best we can. But some of us, many of us maybe, are responsible for helping other people move forward as well. Maybe family members, employees, team members, students, or maybe just neighbors or members of the community. That whether you're a parent or you're a boss or you're a manager or a business owner, teacher, coach, or you're a city leader, there are people looking to you and to me for leadership, inspiration, direction, but most importantly, they're probably looking for hope. That leading in normal times is difficult enough, but leading through a crisis and in a pandemic like we're experiencing right now is incredibly challenging. So one of the principles of leadership that any leader should sort of understand that's just sort of foundational to leading is this idea that leadership is the management, or sorry, the influence that we manage. That leadership is the influence we manage. And another word to describe the sort of management part is stewardship. And another way to describe that is sort of a, a steward was somebody in the ancient times who a king appointed to represent him. That a steward was given authority from their authority, the king, who wanted them to go and represent them. But the thing is that that, that authority was given to them, but it could also be taken away. And as we're going to discover today, the same thing is true of our leadership and our influence, just like it's true of whomever we elect as president. That we have a responsibility to someone else for our leadership. And not only that, leadership is temporary. That the clock is ticking on all of our leadership. It's either going to be taken away from us or we're going to give it away. And it's temporary because we're temporarily on this earth. We're not going to be here forever and so it's eventually going to end at some point. And then the knowledge that our leadership has an end date should inform our conscience, should inform our posture, our tone, and our humility. That we are also accountable. That everyone is accountable for how they steward or manage their influence. And today's story is going to remind us that our accountability goes much further than just our boss or a board or some sort of constituency or political base. That if you believe that God created women and men in his image and that Jesus died for them as well, then we are accountable for how we respond, how we treat and lead and leverage our influence and authority 
over other people. And Jesus would teach this and Jesus would model this. But if you're not a Jesus follower, you're kind of new to faith, we are so glad that you are here. That this might be one of the best series for you to engage with. Because right now there is so much political polarization going on. And there's various different opinions about how the church should be involved as well. And you get the opportunity to see how we as a church view that. But maybe more importantly than that, you might not have very much respect for the Bible. Or you might think, oh, it doesn't really apply to real life. And I get why some might think that. But my hope through this series is that you would start to realize and see how incredibly powerful and relevant the information in the scripture is to everyone, regardless of if you believe the Bible is inspired or not. That the principles in the scriptures actually can apply to everyone, regardless of how much influence or leadership someone has. So maybe by the end of the series, you might be motivated to start reading the scriptures or start reading them again. Today's story takes place about 580 BC. The main character was an extraordinary military and political leader. And quite literally, he was one of the most powerful men in the world in his day. But he was sort of brought to his senses in a kind of an unusual way. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he was the king of the Babylonian Empire. And he lived in the city of Babylon in modern day Iraq. And before the story that we're going to read though, Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah and destroyed the Jewish temple, bringing back the contents of the temple to Babylon along with some of the best and the brightest from the city of Jerusalem. And that included a group of people named Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's gonna become a little bit later, uh, important a little bit later as well. And for the Jewish people, the moral of the story was pretty simple, that God was judging the nation of Israel for its disobedience and lack of faithfulness to him. He was sort of putting them in timeout, putting the whole nation in timeout until they were ready to be faithful to follow him again. However, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't see it that way. He saw it quite differently. He thought that his god, Marduk, was simply more powerful or, more, or stronger than the Jewish god, Yahweh. That Israel's god lost, and so that's the end of the story. But as we're going to see, that wasn't the end of the story. And Daniel documents this account of Nebuchadnezzar in his letter, or in his book called the Book of Daniel. And Daniel becomes a trusted advisor by this point. He'd been around Nebuchadnezzar and in Babylon for about 20 years by this point. And he records this dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar has, this horrible, terrible dream that we're going to read about in just a few moments. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can um, follow along on the Bible app, open that up. You can also jump in the notes section of the chat, or you can just stay on the screen as well. We're going to have quite a few verses that we'll read, but I think it'll tie the story together, hopefully give us a great point. Starting in verse 4, it says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. And, but one night I had a dream that frightened me. And he dreamed that there was this enormous tree that sort of fed the whole earth and all the birds and the animals would, would rest and live underneath its shade. And then he hears a loud voice from heaven or a loud voice from out there somewhere saying, cut it down. And this enormous tree is cut down, but the, the base and the stump are sort of left and the roots are left in the ground. That will become important a little bit later as well. Then the voice says this in verse 15. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field for seven periods of time. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. And then the messenger says this in verse 17. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest people. 
And when Nebuchadnezzar wakes up from this dream, he's terrified, and rightfully so, right? And he calls for anyone he thinks can help interpret the dream. And either they can't or they won't, but whatever the case is, eventually Daniel's called. And Daniel's also terrified by this dream. And here's what Daniel, he also has another name in here, but I'm not going to say that to keep things simple. And here's what his interpretation of the dream is. I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would have happened to your enemies, O Lord, and not to you. But like your life, Daniel would say, Nebuchadnezzar, your life has all been about you and this dream is all about you. And here's what this dream means, that the Most High God has decreed, and this is gonna happen, that you are gonna be driven away from humanity. You're gonna be sort of taken away from people and you are about to become like a wild animal and you're gonna publicly humiliate yourself. And this will go on until you finally acknowledge that the Most High God is the one who actually gives authority and actually is sovereign over you and over your God, Marduk. And it's not him that gives the kingdoms of this world. It's Yahweh that does this. And Daniel sort of ends with some good news though, verse 26. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. And then Daniel kind of steps a little bit further into his role of advisor to the most powerful man in the world at this time. You got to keep that in mind, okay? Verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. So Nebuchadnezzar is terrified by this dream and rightfully so. But he's not all that terrified because nothing changes until verse 29. 12 months later, he was walking or taking a walk uh, on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. Verse 30, as he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And if this was made into a movie, this is sort of where the music changes and we start to kind of know what's going to happen next, right? Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. Another translation says, your royal authority has been taken from you. And it means it can be taken because it was given, right? It was given as a gift to you from somebody. And it's a stewardship and you're temporarily managing it and you're not managing it anymore because it was on loan to you and it was given to you and you didn't realize it, but you are accountable for how you used it. And you're being called to an account right now and it wasn't good and you're not the leader anymore. Verse 32, you will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat the grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses. Verse 33, the same hour the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. And Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. And it's possible that he had the actual psychological condition called boanthropy, where basically the people that are affected by this psychological disorder actually believe that they are a cow or an ox. And this is kind of an actual thing that is actually psychologically um, out there. 
and Nebuchadnezzar's family or his attendants or whoever came upon him come into his room or come into his area and they find him sort of crawling around on all fours and making sounds like a cow or whatever he's doing. And so they take him out to a private garden and basically try to keep it quiet and keep the story you know, private. And he lives there until all of a sudden his mind comes back at some point. And he comes into his right mind, he returns to sanity, and he's told about what's happened and he's just humiliated as most people would probably feel. And then he puts two and two together and he remembers Daniel's interpretation of the dream. And he remembers the dream itself and he remembers the interpretation. And all of a sudden this realization happens and Daniel writes down Nebuchadnezzar's confession after going through this weird season of, of acting like a cow. Verse 34, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. And suddenly it isn't all about Marduk and it isn't about himself anymore. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. His acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. And this is the lesson for you and for me. And this is the lesson for the president in 2021 as well. That leadership, even for kings, even for presidents, leadership is influence that we manage. It is temporary, and even for kings and leaders, and even for presidents, they are accountable and we are accountable. And so we dare not use our power. We dare not leverage our power to oppress other people. 40 years later, the glory around the Babylonian Empire has begun to fade. And in the East, Cyrus the Great and the Persians are sort of starting to flex their muscles. And Cyrus the Great sets his sights on Babylon with their legendary wealth. And he creates this plan to, to go and destroy the, the Babylonian Empire, and specifically with the city of Babylon as the prize. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar is dead now, and he's not around for the Babylonian Empire. And the new king of Babylon is Nabonidus, and he is no Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nabonidus sets Belshazzar, which is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, as the ruler of the city of Babylon. So he can go and face and leave the city and go and face Cyrus the Great and hopefully defeat the Persian army to the east. But as Nabonidus leaves the city and goes and faces the Persians, Cyrus the Great and his army just decimate the Babylonian army. And they capture Nabonidus. And then they head for the city of Babylon. Inside the city, Belshazzar is sort of preparing the city for the siege that's coming with the Persians surrounding the city. But Belshazzar is so incredibly confident that the Persians will never be able to get into the walls of the city, get through the walls of the city, that he throws a huge party. Remember, Belshazzar in the city of Babylon is King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. So he knows about some history about leading the, the empire of Babylon. Uh, we're going to jump to chapter 5 of Daniel, beginning in verse 1. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. That's a big party, right? thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, this was part of the contents of what was taken out of the temple in Jerusalem earlier that we mentioned, okay? Verse 3, so they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines, drank from them. And essentially, they make a mockery out of the whole religious system and all this stuff that came from Jerusalem and the city of, of God's temple, basically. Verse 4, while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And Yahweh finally had enough. He just had enough at this point. Verse 5, suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. 
And the king himself saw the hand as it wrote, but he couldn't read it for some reason. We don't know exactly why, he just couldn't read it. Verse 6, And his face turned pale with fright, his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. And he basically sort of announces to everyone that whoever can read this, I'll make you third most powerful in the kingdom and give you wealth and status and all these things. Crickets. He didn't hear anything, right? So eventually his, his wife or his main wife, whatever that might mean in this situation, she wasn't in the room. And so she comes in the room because of all the commotion and she starts saying this, long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There's a man in your kingdom who was with, who was with, who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. Verse 12. This man, Daniel, that's who they're talking about. They're talking about Daniel, whom the king named and had a different name, has exceptional ability and is filled with the divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. And Daniel is an old man by this time, and apparently he's sort of been forgotten by almost everyone except for the queen or this important wife of, of the, the king. And Belshazzar sort of repeats his promise that he's going to make him the third most important or third highest authority in the kingdom, and he's going to give him all the status and wealth and all these different things. And Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts and give them to someone else, he said. But I will tell you what the writing means. And he's going to start with some history, some context. He's going to teach the youngins what they, what they should know about the history. Verse 18, your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And he gave it, which means it's sort of something that can be given by someone else. It's a gift, you might say. Verse 19, he made him so great that people of all races, nations, and languages trembled before him in fear. But when his heart and mind were puffed up in arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal, and he lived among the wild donkeys. Remember that whole thing about acting like a cow? Well, this is it. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until. And this is sort of the hinge point. Before this, you know, we kind of know about the, the arrogance and all that. Until this point. Until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. Like you've heard this story, you knew what happened to your grandfather. It should have served as a warning to you, but apparently it hasn't. Verse 23, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. And basically he's sort of offending their whole religious system. Daniel's just sort of going at it at this point. And then he says, but you have not honored the God who gives the breath of life and controls your destiny. Doesn't that just sort of an interesting comparison there. And I think some of us might say, well, Belshazzar, are you sure you really want to know what the handwriting on the wall is? Because it's sort of the handwriting on the wall, which is probably where we get the phrase from, right? Verse 26, it says this. This is what these words mean, Daniel would say. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. 
And Belshazzar, your leadership was on loan, and now God's calling your loan to account, and it's done. You're done with this loan. You're done managing it. Verse 27, Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. That you are accountable for your actions as a leader, you've been evaluated and it's not so good. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Like you thought it was yours, but it was taken away. It wasn't yours to begin with and now it's being taken away again. And sort of while all this is happening, the party and Daniel interpreting the, the handwriting on the wall, the Persian engineers outside the city are diverting part of the Euphrates River into a swamp near the city. And as the water levels would sort of lower, they were able to then get in. But the Babylonians thought, well, this water will never get lower. This is why we can have a long battle with the Persians, because we have this water supply, which went under the walls of the city of Babylon and into the city, and they had this huge water supply. But again, as they diverted this water supply, the water level dropped, and the special Persian ops team swam underneath, killed the guards, opened up the gates, and the city was taken by the Persians. And Daniel tells us this in verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was killed. And we sort of flash back to chapter 4, verse 32, which said, The Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world, and he gives them to anyone he chooses. And I'll be honest, I have no idea how all this works. But I do think if it's true, I think it is true, and I think history tends to support that. And if it is true, then there's something here for anyone that has any measure of influence, whether that's your talent, your education, your hard work, your family connections, or just your opportunities, that what you do with your influence determines whether you are a leader worth following. It determines whether you're a leader worth emulating. It determines if you're actually a good leader. And here's what's so catalytic about this, that unlike the early days of Nebuchadnezzar and unlike these days of Belshazzar, that if we're actually willing to, to view our leadership and view our influence, whether it's big or small, doesn't matter, if we're willing to view our influence as a temporary loan that we're managing and we're accountable for, we're much less likely to use it all, save it all, spend it all, and leverage it all for us. And we're much more likely to leverage our influence for those that we have the privilege of serving. And we won't have to be reminded that people matter that people matter most, that people matter to God because God is the one who's given us this temporary opportunity in the first place. And so whether you're, a, whether you're leading a family, whether you're leading a business, whether you're leading kids in distance learning, whether it's a department, division, a team, whether you're leading a city or a state, or whether you're leading an entire nation, everyone is accountable for the management of their temporary influence. Because the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of this world, and He also rules over your family and everything in between. And He gives that influence to those He chooses. So the challenge this week is, would you look for an opportunity to use your influence to help one person? Just one opportunity to help the people that might benefit from your influence. Because after all, that is the reason that God gave it to begin with. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for the fact that we even have this story. And thank you that we have it kind of in multiple ways. Historically, we have this, this person named Nebuchadnezzar and his family in Babylon and Persia. And yet we see this man, Daniel, who was willing to stand in here and, and to give some advice to the leaders. And really to give some advice to us, no matter our sphere of influence, no matter how little or how large it is. 
that leadership is something that we are just managing. It's temporary and you are going to hold us accountable. Other people might hold us accountable. But ultimately, we have to answer to you, God. So God, would you help us to use whatever influence we've been given? Maybe just it's the fact that we're Americans and that gives us a level of influence. Maybe it's a position or maybe it's money or status or education. Whatever it might be, God, would you help us this week to find one opportunity to leverage our influence for the benefit of other people? God, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do? And God, would you absolutely give us the courage to do it? We can only do this with your help, Jesus. And God, we ask that you would help lead our nation, that you would help lead our leaders to see that their influence is important, but it's also temporary, and they're going to be held accountable for it. So God, would you help them to see that? And would you help them to lead with that in mind? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.